For this morning, I want to kind of dive into where David was when he penned uh, this passage. And here on Mother's Day, uh, as I say every year, I am very well aware that Mother's Day is a mixed bag of emotions from everybody sitting in this room today. Like, I'm very, very well aware of that. Uh, that for Mother's Day, for some of us, uh, it's, it's a, obviously it's a great day. It's a glorious day. Uh, for many of us, it's uh, if you're a mom, you're tired. Uh, maybe you're overwhelmed. Uh, maybe you're sad. Maybe your mind automatically goes to uh, the person that's going to be missing at the lunch table after church, and your, your, your heart and your mind is just a, just a mixed bag of emotions. Not just moms, but every person sitting in here. When we come to holidays, uh, it's a mixed bag of emotions. We want to celebrate and honor what that holiday is, but with that holiday brings about other emotions as well. And that's what I love about the book of Psalms. I can't teach you a lot of things, but uh, in the book of Psalms, I can teach us or we can be taught how to process those things, how to process those things in a way in which, A, glorifies God, but actually does a work in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own life. And that's kind of where we are today, is as we're going to walk through Psalm 16 and understand how we process this and how we kind of walk through life. That's what I believe for, the, for a lot of times. That's what the book of Psalms is. That's what most of our Psalms are, is this. The, the author, the writer, processing their reality when their reality was being challenged or their belief was being challenged by their reality, uh, instead of just running to get advice from so-and-so or throwing up their hands in despair or defeat, they process those emotions in the presence of God. And so when you see David at times, and the, today is a little different, but a lot of times we see David, whatever, whether if his son was trying to kill him or his enemies were attacking him, there was a physical threat in what he would do. He would process that, process that before the Lord and go, my enemies, they surround me, they encompass me. Where, where are you? The, 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 the evil, they're prospering, the righteous, we're being prevailed upon. Where are you, Lord? And many times we see this outward threat, if you will, that David processes in the presence of God, which we call a psalm. All right, with me so far? But sometimes, like this morning, it's not just like this exterior physical thing that's going on, but it's something more inward. It's something more that David's dealing with, not on a public manner, if you will, but something that's going on with him. And I think that for us this morning, I don't know what it means to be a mom, right? I'm a dude. Uh, however, I was blessed with a great mom for a little over 14 years of my life, so I know what a great mom is. For the past nine years, I've had a mother-in-law who's a great mother. And for the past 70 years, I've had a wife who I've been able to see become a mother. And any time in between that, God has placed so many spiritual mothers around me that, that I am who I am today, not just because of my birth mother or my mother-in-law or my wife, but all the spiritual moms that God has given me. And all of us can have that testimony, right? And so I can't say what it means to be a mother, but I can help every one of us through God's word process whatever this day brings about. Whether that feeling is I'm overwhelmed, whether that feeling is maybe it's questions of why or why not, I can't give you those answers. But I can help us process those thoughts through God's word. Everybody with me? That's what we're going to do this morning. In Psalm 16, I'm going to read it again, even though we read it earlier, just so it's back to the forefront of our mind. And maybe this first 
two words in this psalm is why I thought that it would be great for Mother's Day because David starts by saying, preserve me. Any mom's been there before? Just God, preserve me. God, may, hold on to me. Let's keep it going. God, I need you to hold me. Maybe that's in itself. We could go there. But David cries out, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out and take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And let me pause there for a moment. And as I'm reading, what I love is to see a psalmist process, and you see them at the very beginning. It's almost like, Lord, I need, can, can you just hold on to me? Like, things are tough right now. And as we walk through the psalm, you see him literally navigating through all those emotions, and then you see him start coming out of it. Everybody with me? So I want you to see that kind of change when he says, The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You see, a guy who started this psalm and this process of, Lord, preserve me, to now crying out, declaring, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your body, your Holy One, see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forever. More. This is God's word. May he add his blessing and favor upon it. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we turn our attention to your word. God, the things that you need to teach us, God, that you'll teach us the things that you need to convict us of, that you'll do that, God. But God, I just pray that as we lay ourselves open before your word and your Holy Spirit, God, that you would move and you would speak, that we would submit to the Spirit's voice, that he, we would allow him to do what you intend him to do. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Really, this text is, I'm going to break it down to really three points. First of all, we see a petition. And then from that petition, he moves to an exaltation of, of who God has been for him. And then when he gets to the climax of that, there's a declaration he makes. And I'm hoping as we walk through this to kind of help us process no matter what emotions we're walking through. So first of all, he says, preserve me, O God. There's the petition for, for preservation. We see it in 16.1. Preserve me, O God. At this point, we don't really know what he needs preserving from. Right? He doesn't say preserve me because. He just says preserve me. And many times we can even find ourselves that, that place in life. God, I don't know what to say. I'm just saying, God, preserve me. God, I need you to hold me. I need you to keep me. I need you to keep your hand upon me. I need you to continue to hold me. Can anybody feel that this morning? Can anybody say, we've had that point in our life where we can just cry, God, I need you to preserve me. We doesn't fill in the blank yet. We're going to get to it in a little bit. But we, what we know is that whatever David was contemplating, it was something that he cried out, God, I need you to hold on to me. I need you to keep me. From what? Like I said, the whole psalm 
is shaped upon this petition. This petition for, the, for David to look to God and say, God, I need you to preserve me, O oh God. It shapes the whole psalm. And this is just a side note. Uh, it has really nothing to do with the text, but it kind of does, is that many, many times in our life we pray for God to deliver us from something, right? God, deliver me from this situation. Deliver me from this struggle. Deliver me from whatever it is you fill in the blank. When I say deliver me from, you can fill in the blank for your life, right? And sometimes God chooses to deliver But sometimes God in his omnipotence and his sovereignty that we don't quite understand, he chooses not to deliver us, but for us to endure, listen to me, and he will preserve us all along the way. Many times in our life, when we have things, emotions or thoughts or feelings or situations that we don't like, our prayer automatically is, God, we deliver me from this. And sometimes he will. But I think all of us give testimony that oftentimes he allows us in his own sovereignty to endure whatever that is. And in that enduring, we cry out as David, God, preserve me. And he is faithful to do that very thing. When God doesn't see fit to deliver us, he will also, he will always preserve us through it. So we see the, the, the petition the petition for preservation, preserve me, O God. The second thing that we see, he doesn't spend a lot of time there. The second thing we see in this text is that there's an exaltation of, of who God is. Uh, notice the connection between, we see it in, in, in the, the second part of verse 1. We see the connection between this declaration about God, who God is for David, and his petition to God. First of all, he says this, he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David's petition for God to preserve him was predicated on the fact that it was in God that David was taking refuge. Everybody with me? The the reason why David could cry out for God to preserve him because David had already made God his refuge. And so it's connected there. And what we'll see, what we're going to see in the next six verses is ultimately that David, and this is, man, this is an incredible discipline that we need to learn. What we'll see is that David is declaring who God is for him as a ground or reason, or for the ground or reason that he hopes that God will preserve him. Ultimately, as we walk through this psalm, what we'll see is that he's declaring and exalting in what God is for him, listen to me, as a way of strengthening his hope that God will indeed preserve him. It's the age-old saying Don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. And that's what we see David begin to do is, God, preserve me because it's in you that I take refuge. You are a great refuge. And so, therefore, God, I'm crying out to you as my refuge to preserve me. And so let's look at the thing, the, the, the way that he exalts, first of all, is that God is for David his safest refuge. We will read it later in Psalm that he's a well-proven help in time of need. 
that here's this David fellow who penned majority of these psalms that over and over again, he cried out that God was a safe refuge, that David had a, he had a palace, he had guards, he had people who would protect him, he had people who would die for him. But he said, the safest place for me to go, the safest place for me to be is my God. Anybody with me this morning? Whenever he needs this person, where something is, is in turmoil deep with him, it's not exterior. We don't read about enemies coming to kill him or destroy him. There's something going on, and he says, God, I need you to preserve me because I know you are the safest place for me to be. God, for David, was the safest refuge. And child of God, when your mind's battle is going over and over again, what we need to learn to do is to cry out to God and remind ourselves that he is our great refuge, that he is the place in which we go and, I guess you can say, park our boats into the harbor, if you will. That's where we go for protection. That is where we go for safety. That doesn't mean that everything's easy, but what it does mean we have a God who's the safest protection. He's our great refuge. Not only did David exalt him as his greatest refuge, but we see in verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Not only is he exalting God as his safest refuge, but he is exalting him as his sovereign Lord. He uses his covenant name, Lord, as in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are my God. You're not just their Lord. You're, you're my sovereign. And he's going to expound upon that as we go through Psalm 16, but he's saying, you are the ruler of my life. So no matter what David is going through, no matter what we're going to find out in a minute, whatever is causing him deep within himself to, to, that he's contemplating, to cry for God to preserve him, the first thing he goes, because God, you are my great refuge and you're the Lord of my life. He's reminding himself, God, you are my refuge and you're my sovereign Lord. I hope you're writing these things down because this is the way that we process these things, by the way. We preach these things to ourselves that he is our refuge, he's our sovereign Lord. But the next thing that we see is that he exalts God as his supreme treasure. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, you're my Lord, I have no good apart from you. There's nothing that my hands can touch that compares to you. There is nothing that I have that compares to you. You are my safe refuge, you're my sovereign Lord, and you're the treasure of my life. That nothing else compares to you. So no matter what's going on, turmoil within, no matter what's hurting, no matter what's happening, we look up and we say, God, preserve me because you're my refuge, you're my sovereign Lord, you rule my life. There's nothing that happens without but that's your sovereign decree, and God, you and your presence is the greatest treasure that I could even have. That's only two verses. Let's keep going. He emphasizes how God is his greatest treasure by looking at verse 3. He talks about God's people. His delight in God, and God being his treasure, was even increased by godly people. Look at verse 3. He says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Man, this is, 
We talk about this, and we talked about it last week and over and over again, is that this picture of God being refuge, this truth of being God being a refuge, is we ask the question, how do you take refuge in an invisible refuge? You can't see it. Look to your right and look to your left for a moment. This is how we take refuge in an invisible God as God's people. That we gather ourselves whenever turmoil's inward or turmoil's coming from the outside is that I understand that, man, a part of me being able to see God's goodness and treasure him is to be a part of his people. Because when I'm a part of his people, it increases my joy anyway. So, a side note, side note principle, if you're walking through something that's turmoil or tough, the worst thing you could do is to isolate yourself from the people of God. It is the people of God in which God has given you to help you walk through that. Continue. It's a supreme treasure. He delights in God's people. And then in verse 4, it's kind of like a, the negative side of him saying, I have nothing good apart from you. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall, shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. They take their names on my lips. Ultimately, what he's saying is, it's foolish to turn to another God when you know the all-satisfying one. I'm not going to do it. Anybody who chases after God's liturgy, it's always going to end in sorrow. So the application to that is if you are in a place in your life, maybe you are, maybe you're not, that you're walking through this struggle, this turmoil, whether from the outside or from the inside, the worst thing you could do is, A, to isolate yourselves from the people of God. And the second worst thing you can do, actually the first worst thing you could do, is actually begin to turn from this all-satisfying God to little G guys to try to feel and answer those questions. Why? Because it's always going to live in sorrow. Always going to lead to disappointment. In verse 5, we see really how he's connecting to, again, that he, that idea that, he, that God is his sovereign Lord. Verse 5, he says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. He's going through something so much that he cries out. God, I need you to preserve me, but you, you are my chosen portion, and you're my cup. Literally, this is the imagery of him saying, if we're sitting at a table that is fashioned and, and plated with hundreds and thousands or whatever you want to look at of, of delicacies, of plates, of wine and drinks, if there are a hundred different options and the Lord's on that table, David says, I'm choosing that one. Like that's, that's my chosen portion. That is the meal in which of all the meals to eat on the table, he is the one I want to eat from. Of all the drinks to be drank from, he is my cup in which I would choose to drink. Because he alone can satisfy. He alone can nourish. He alone can sustain. So he's walking through whatever it is. Again, I'm going to repeat myself over and over again. So we say along with it. He's walking through whatever it is that's called him turmoil. He cries out, God, you're my refuge. You're my sovereign Lord. So much so that above all the things that I can partake in, you're my chosen portion. You're my cup. And my, what did he say? And you hold my life, which means when all the, when the dice are rolled or the straws are drawn, you're sovereignly ruling my life that there's nothing that's going to happen that doesn't come from the hand of God anyway.
God decides and rules over it. And David is exalting in this. He's exalting that the Lord is the one who's over the lot, if you will. He's the one that's the cup and the portion. And we begin to see here, and this is a principle that's not going to come on the screen, is exalting in God, even in trouble, it will produce a perspective. Whenever, no matter whatever it is that's causing us, you fill in the blank, when we begin to focus less on that and exalt, for who, exalt God for who he has been to us, then faith will allow us to have a perspective to see things properly. And that's what we see in verse 6. What does he say? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. At the beginning of this, the dude only can say, preserve me. And now through, as he's exalting God, he steps back and says, and the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The word lines here literally speaks of like boundaries or borderlines. Like think about like Jones County's border or Mississippi's border, the border of the United States. What he's saying is those, these borders, these lines, they have fallen for me in pleasant places. And the Hebrew word for pleasant, the Hebrew here is actually not two words. We just do that in English to be able to see it clearly. But literally, it's the same word for, for pleasures as we see in verse 11. Whenever verse 11, and when it says, at your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. And so when David is writing this, he's literally saying, my, long, my lines have fallen and Luke reminded us this morning, that's a, past, I mean, a, a passive tense in the sense that the lines being fallen for David wasn't him doing it. It wasn't saying, I'm baking my boundaries here, but it was something that done, was done up, upon him. As in God, the, the safe harbor, the sovereign Lord, the, the supreme treasure laid out boundaries that David did not even choose, but he, he laid them out in a sense. And where David it says, they're in places of pleasure. There's pleasantries there. There's goodness there. They have fallen for me there. Lines have fallen in many pleasures. And again, verse 11, where are the pleasures found? If you got your Bible, look at it. Where are those pleasures found forevermore? At his what? Any of y'all have your Bible with you? Right hand. Bring your Bible. I'm just kidding. And so David says, "My the lines have fallen in pleasurable places, or pleasant places, which would be translated the pleasures of verse 11, which we understand those verse those pleasures in verse 11 are found at the right hand of God. So ultimately, what we're seeing is those lines and those boundaries. It's as if God, in His sovereignty and His love, has fenced us into Himself." As in he's fenced us into the joy of being able to know him. He's fenced us in to be able to the joy of having him as a safe harbor. The boundaries in which he has placed on our life or the, the lines that have fallen that are in great places are that he has fenced us into his own presence. That he's brought us in to know him. He's brought us in to be loved by him. And again, this is something that is is. It's something, not something that David said, here's where I'm going to draw these boundaries. It's God acted upon
the fourth exaltation that we see that David gives. Not only has God been for David the safest refuge, his sovereign Lord, his supreme treasure, but verse 7 says his trusted counselor. Verse 7 says, I bless the Lord who what? Gives me counsel. Well, it seems kind of odd because we're in this, like, these big high things of sovereign refuge, treasure, and then it's like, you give me counsel. You're my trusted counselor. And this isn't a random add-on. His counsel is what colors in the picture that David has been drawing from verse 1. Stay with me. It colors the picture of how God is our refuge. He's our treasure and as our sovereign Lord. He's a refuge and how he instructs us in his counsel. Everybody with me? We exalt in the fact that he is our refuge, but how does he, how do we know he's our refuge? Is through his counsel. As in whenever life is tough, whenever harm is nearby, or even sin in my own life, or there's things that are going on around me, where do I go to receive instruction to flee or to not fall guilt, succumb to, or to go to find forgiveness? It is his counseling word. It is by his counsel that he, we understand him as our refuge. It is his counsel. He's our refuge by how he counsels us through his word. And then we, when life happens, we need help, if you will. Where do we go? We go to the word. And what's he doing there? He's being our counselor. But we see him as our refuge, as he's counseling us. He is our treasure because of the beauty of his counsel. He's his treasure, we treasure his teaching, his word, his promises, and we understand that he reveals himself through his word, his counsel, that he's inspired men to, to write this thing called the Bible, that as we read it, he's counseling us, but when we see him, we fall more in love with him, he becomes even more of a treasure. Jesus actually told his disciples this, that if you love me, you will keep my word, and that I and my father will come and make our home with you. And the disciples didn't understand it. And what he's saying is that, how can, how can you do that? And he says, listen to me, if you obey me, if you, my counsel, if you obey my word, then I and my father will make ourselves known to you. So there's a two plus two equals four. As he counsels, as we go to his counsel and we walk in obedience to that, what happens? He reveals more of himself to us, and the more we see of him and know of him, the more we what? Treasure him. He's our treasure because of the beauty of his counsel. He is sovereign over our lives because his sovereignty is exercised through our listening and obeying his counsel. So the three things that we started with, whenever we're looking at our problems, or we're looking at a situation, we're crying out to God, saying, God, you are my refuge, my, my sovereign Lord. You are my greatest uh, treasure, and you are my trusted counselor. As we're walking through and we are doing that, he is sovereign. So we see his petition, we see 
his exaltation of God, and thirdly, and I don't have too much longer, I promise, verse 8, we see a declaration of a confidence, of an assurance. We see, uh, yeah, I wrote it down like this, a petition that turns to praise. The petition of verse 1 is now a praise of confidence in verse 8. Look what he says. He says, I have set the Lord always before me, and here it is, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I've set the Lord before me, and because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. How did this happen? How do you get from verse 1 to verse 8? That's the question we need to know, right? Like, how did, how did it get there? Like, in verse 1, he's, preserve me, O Lord. Now, verse 8, I will not be shaken. How did he get from verse 1 to verse 8? Well, he tells us in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. How did he do that? How did he set the Lord before him? This is what he's been doing the last seven verses when he's declaring what God is for him. That's when him setting the Lord before him. In the last seven verses, that's exactly what he was doing. He was setting the Lord before him by declaring, this is who you have been for me, God. You've been faithful to be this to me. So over and over again, and what we understand is that he probably didn't just sit down and pin us out. It was something he walked through through his life. And what he said, well, what we read here is that as he walked through this progression of declaring who God is, he arrived in verse 8 and says, that's who he's been for me. I'm not going to be shaken. So practically, when life throws life, at us, we need to develop the discipline to what? To set the Lord before us. How do we set the Lord before us? We declare to ourselves and to God what he's been for us. And as we do that, it leads us to a place of unshakable confidence in who he is. He's my refuge. He's my safe place. He's my sovereign over all my life. He's my provider. He's my lot. The greatest treasure. There's nothing greater. He's my counselor. He's led me. David set the Lord before him by exalting him who God has been for him, and now he's taken hold of him. And what we see is now his confidence has grown to move from a petition to confidence that God will actually preserve Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This is a different do from verse 1. Preserve me. Now he's saying what? My heart is glad. Not, even, not just my heart, my whole being. My flesh is secure. His confidence has grown. Petition for preservation leads to exaltation of God, which leads to unshakable confidence, which leads to deep joy. Is the process or progress of this psalm. Now, in verse 10, we see what was causing him so much distress, finally. Actually, look at verse 9b. It says, My flesh also dwells secure. For, I, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol 
or let your Holy One see corruption. That's what it was. That's what was causing him turmoil where he needed to be preserved. That's where he needed to have confidence that his relationship with God didn't end at the grave. And obviously we see verse 10 as a prophecy of Christ, in which I'm going to get to that in a second. But for David, he didn't quite understand it all. But what he came to a realization is through the Holy Spirit's work, as he's, as he's confessing who God has been for him, God has reminded him through the ministry, ministry of the Holy Spirit that what God has been for him and up to this point, he will always be for him. We see it here in verse uh, yeah, verse 9, B and 10, it says, for, for God to preserve him in life and death, that was his, that was his turmoil. That was his, what he was thinking through. That is what he was walking, as in, I don't know this, but what it looks like is as if David was walking through death and everything else. He's walking through, and he says, God, preserve me, fill in the blank, in death. Preserve me at this point. And he walks through, and he finally cries out, I will not be shaken and I will not see corruption. Some of you are about to say, well, David's still in the grave. I'll get to that in a minute. David's relationship with God wouldn't end at death. This is a mental turmoil that he was walking. Do we know that because, uh, because of therefore, verse 8 and verse uh, and the, the four or the four of verse ten. Look at how they're connected. He says, in, in verse uh, eight, he says, "I have set the Lord always before me. I will not. He's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken." And look at the, therefore. There my heart. Therefore my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also joys secure. For why? So his joy of verse eight is. I mean, verse nine is connected to verse eight and verse ten. Ultimately, what David arrives at at the end of this, that God will be for David what he's always been. He will be this forever. Death would not end the, his relationship with God. This is the same David that before he died wrote Psalm 23 that said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Which leads to verse 11. And he says, you make known to me the paths of life. He's talking about the paths of life, and really this whole psalm is built on the idea of death. And what I've come to understand in life is that God oftentimes teaches us the path of life by getting us to view death. That it's more familiar we are with death, the more prone we are to live. But he says this, in your presence is fullness of joy. This word fullness is in the idea complete. It's complete joy. And he says there, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, as in an unending pleasure. As in David on this side of eternity, he had joy, yet it wasn't complete. And yes, the lines had fallen in pleasurable places, but they weren't eternal. But what he's saying is when there will be a day that we will enter to a place in which there's fullness of joy, complete joy, and pleasures forever more. The joy of having God as the safest refuge, sovereign Lord, greatest treasure and counselor for the believer is full and forever. 
So Justin, it's Mother's Day. Why are you talking about death? First, let me say this. David knew that he would die. He's not saying in verse 10 that he's not, not, God's not going to let him die. In 2 Samuel, the prophet actually told him, chapter 7, it says, When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. So David knew that he would die. But then there's a promise of a Messiah to come. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David is literally walking through two things right now. One, in a sense, what happens after he dies, but also there's an offspring that's coming that his kingdom is going to be forever. And so what we see, and that's what I love about Psalms, is that there's a working out that David is doing in his own heart, in his own life, about his own situation, but also the promise of this Messiah. Like, there's a, like something's walking through his mind that he hasn't quite completely understood, which is what Scripture teaches us. So what First Peter says about, it says concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, and then was indicating when he pre, uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. We understand is that David knew there was a promise of Messiah to come. He knew that his reign would be forever. He didn't quite, but what we see is this psalm is him processing that David was putting pieces together for himself and the promise of the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, allowed himself to be swallowed by death for the sake of sinners. But before death could conquer him and turn him to dust, he killed death by his resurrection. And here, you ready? Bring it home. He killed death for David so this psalm could be true for him, and he killed death so that this psalm could be true for you as well. That it is through the resurrection of Christ that we can have God as a, our refuge. It is because of the resurrection of the Holy One, the perfect one, that we can know him as our supreme treasure and, and submit to his sovereign lordship. And to have him as our trusted counselor. Psalm 16 is good news because of verse 10. If verse 10 wasn't about Christ and Christ hadn't fulfilled it, then we have really no reason to read Psalm 10. I mean Psalm 16. But thanks be to God, he's alive. And this morning, as we're walking through this, say, Justin, it's Mother's Day. What are we talking about? Let me ask you a question. Moms and anybody else sitting in here, full of emotions, full of pressures, full of everything that's going on, let me ask you. Four questions real quick. Where do you find your refuge? Where do you find it? When things are tough, you're overwhelmed, you're struggled, in whom or where do you find your refuge? Who is your sovereign? Who is it that rules and reigns your life? Who is it that you treasure most, mom and dad? Who or what is your supreme treasure? Listen to me. 
Kids are a blessing from the Lord. They are to be treasured, if you will, but they make a terrible God. Who is your supreme treasure? Who do you turn to for counsel? I want to remind you of what verse 4 told us. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. What I mean by that is that if your answer to any of those four questions, if it's not God, then sorrow will be multiplied. I can't tell you how to make it through motherhood, but I can tell you this. If you're making anything other than God, your sovereign, your refuge, your treasure, and your counsel, it will lead to sorrow. But thanks be to God, as we see whatever it is that's causing us, as we begin to, to seek God and declare who he has been for us, there will be a confidence that he will continue to be that for us. How do you deal with life's pressures? A moments that God chooses to preserve rather than to deliver. Well, let's take the model of Psalm 16 here and let's exalt God as our safest refuge, our sovereign Lord, our supreme treasure and trusted counselor. And I believe that we will be able to see our petition become our praise. Don't lose heart, child of God. I didn't say all that to make you feel bad. I said all that for us to check ourselves and go, my husband, my wife can't be my greatest refuge because their shoulders are not broad enough to carry the weight of the world. Only his is. My kids can't be the place that I find the greatest joy because they're going to disappoint me. And they definitely can't rule everything about my life because I was called to steward them by God. That my job as their parent is to steward them for the grace of God and the glory of Jesus' name. They can't be my sovereign ruler. Am I talking to anybody in there right now? But if we get these four questions checked out, the answer is, God, and it's not going to make our problems go away, but it's going to give perspective and peace and hope right through the middle of them until, listen to me, until we're at the place where presence of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We know he's going to be that for us then. Listen to me. He is that for you now if you submit and make him these things in your life. I don't really know how to end. Michael, I think I was supposed to tell you to come up 20 minutes ago, so go ahead and come up. I'm going to pray for us. I just ask you to, I know I said a lot. Maybe I didn't say anything to you, but maybe I did. Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And whatever that is, maybe there's confession, repentance, in a sense that we confess that, one of these four areas of, of who God is for us, we've, we've turned from the all-satisfying God to the little G God, and we've, we're reaping that sorrow. 
that struggle. Maybe there's a confession or repentance that needs to take place. Maybe as the band leads us, maybe you need to go seek out a brother or sister that you trust and say, hey, I just need, can you pray for me? Whatever you need to be prayed for. That's the great thing about God's people, right? The two worst things we can do is turn from the living God to a little G God and to isolate ourselves from God's people. Maybe you need to turn to God's people and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you just pray for me? I'll be standing down here in the front. Luke and uh, Ryan will be in the back. And maybe you don't feel comfortable talking to a dude. There's ladies in here who we can connect you with. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you never placed your faith in Christ. And all of these things sound good in theory. But you yourself have never experienced the sweet counsel of the Lord. Sweet refuge that he can be. The truth that he sovereignly rules and reigns. He can sovereignly lead your life. Maybe you haven't experienced that. I want to invite you to trust in Jesus this morning. That says, come to me. Believe, repent of your sin. Your sin has separated you from God. That's ultimately, listen to me, that's probably one of the reasons David was dealing with sin. I mean, dealing with death because he knew he was a sinner. He knew he was going to die. That's a thing that for some reason we want to like tune out. We don't want to think about death. But what we see in Psalm 16 is that we've seen the path of life. Why? Because we deal with death. Death's coming because we're all sinful. But the good news of the gospel is that he, the offspring of David, did come. And he lived a perfect sin-free life satisfied the demands of God's law that condemned me and you. That we stood under judgment, just judgment. But he came and he fulfilled all of those demands. And he did die. And they rolled the tomb, rolled the stone over the tomb. But three days later, the prophecy of Psalm 1610 came true and his Holy One did not see corruption. So that you and I can know him as those four things that David has claimed him to be. We believe in Jesus this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to stop talking, I promise. I know y'all are ready to go to lunch. You move as the Lord leads. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you speak through it. use it. God, I pray now as we move into the part of the service where we we respond to your voice. God, I believe you're speaking. God, I just pray for obedience to respond 
and how you're speaking. God, thank you for being our greatest refuge, our sovereign, our treasure, and our counselor. God, if anybody in here today does not have that assurance, God, that today... God, that today you would save them, that they would trust in Christ. We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can stand.